I'm with Javier. I know I couldn't have made it through the side. I'd have walked out and said, just shoot me. Just turn that off. Now. <laughs> Welcome to the What's Our Verdict TV podcast, where we fashion ourselves television judge and jury. My name is JJ Crowder. I'm here with two of my co-hosts, Javier Ortiz. What is up, my nerds? And Ian Anderson. Some shit. And back with us today is our special guest host, Nicole Ortiz. What's up? Everybody, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Make sure you also leave us a five-star review and check out our sister podcast, What's Our Verdict Movies, where we review and pass judgment on your favorite movies and ours. Uh, today, we're going to be concluding our review of the miniseries Waco, which is available now on Netflix. We will be reviewing episodes four through six today. Just like last time, we'll read a synopsis of the episode and discuss it. So let's just jump right in, guys. I'll go hop right into the episode four synopsis, and then we'll talk about it. After the first attempt of evacuating the Branch Davidians from Mount Carmel failed, Nosner suggests a new sensible plan to get the children out first safely, while other FBI agents prefer to use force, fearing that David Koresh and his followers would commit mass suicide. Koresh preaches to his remaining sect members that he'll wait for a sign from God and warns that the kingdom of heaven is coming, but he faints midway into the sermon. Nosner and fellow agent Walter Graves when then focus their attention on Steve Schneider, who turns out to be the star recruiter. The shrinking food and water supplies and the lack of proper medical attention test the faith and patience of Davidians and FBI, respectively. David Thibodeau buries Perry Jones's body in the front yard instead of the bunker at Michelle's request. And Steve contacts Noser at Nosner asking for milk because the mothers have stopped lactating. However, Nosner recommends adding listening bugs to the gallons so they'll have ears inside the compound. Throughout Nosner's trickle method seems to work as few Davidians left the complex, including a few kids. Later, the Koresh family, with help from Steve, send their videotape to the FBI blaming the government for the fatal attack. As parents beg their loved ones to walk out, electricity to the facility has been cut, leaving Koresh and the Davidians in the dark. Ready, set, fight. No. <laughs> so that's episode four. Um, let's talk about it. What would you guys think? Well, I think my first thought was, Cow milk and breast milk aren't the same thing. I think we both thought that it was just interesting that they asked for, when they were asking for milk or they were like, are they asking for donated breast milk or are they asking for cow's milk? And it ended up being just so right off the bat, they just asked for cow's milk. We're like, oh, interesting. Very interesting. I mean, I'm not an expert, but like, I don't, I don't know how, what, what kind of nutritional value does cow milk give to a baby who's nursing? To answer your question, the nutritional value is very different, but it's still better than nothing. And, and you know, they need, babies need something. And at this point, it's, I think even if the narrative wasn't being controlled or if these folks weren't actually crazy, whichever one was true, or maybe both were true. But anyway. They could have asked for formula. Yeah. Why didn't they bring formula? I, don't know. <laughs> I just think like six gallons of milk is just an interesting response to that. I don't get that. You know who I think's crazy? Hitler. Is David Thibodeau for go- well, yeah, he's fucking nuts too. But no, David Thibodeau for taking a fucking dead body out there and burying it by a tree in front of a bunch of fucking tanks and people that are already proven they're willing to shoot some guns after they gun some dude down who's trying to run into the compound. Which that didn't actually happen the way. It was portrayed. The burying part? No, the uh, the guy running in to join him. Oh, how did what happened there? 
So they, there was three, my understand, well, I'd have to go find the sources, but my understanding, there were three Davidians that came in and like two of them took off, but one of them stayed and like was exchanging fire with them. And then as the ATF agents were retreating. So I was a little upset, like learning that when. Wait, the ATF agents were retreating and a Davidian was still shooting at them? No, the Davidian that was trying to get onto the compound was shooting. Oh, that's messed up. So, and there were like a couple of times. As self-defense? Or he just decided to just take his one gun against all those ATF agents that are sitting outside the house. (laughs) I mean, I can't speak to who was shooting first and all that. Because that that would be crazy. Gunfire started. It was was gunfire is mayhem. It's chaos. I I don't know. I don't Mm. know how it played out exactly. What I'm saying is there's like a couple of points where in I don't like the way that it was filmed. For instance, there's one where they're talking about the milk and the very next scene they go to is Gary Nesner or Nosner. I don't know which it is. Um, and his like little companion negotiator. And they're talking about bacon and whether or not they should have gotten bacon on their burgers. And I just didn't like that they would take like little shots that didn't really matter, but it made it feel like they had a particular viewpoint in the series rather than trying to come at it from like an unbiased view. But I don't know, just something that bugged me. Good to know the truth though, that there was some very different than how it was portrayed. And I think that gets to the root of my issue with, and I'll just get this out. I don't think I even said it in the last one. Me and docu anything have a hard time because any facts can, or any Concepts, facts can be swayed or portrayed in a certain way in order to sway one way or the other. That's why I try to stay as in the middle as possible because I realize that while there's truth in these things, it's not, it's hard to find pure fact in a situation like this, right? So, yeah, I think too, especially when with this one where Javier, I know you can maybe shed some more light on this, but Javier looked tried to look up a lot of information on how the trial went and what was um, found in court, you know, who shot first or this or that. And it seems pretty controversial on either end. Um, so yeah, when we were watching this, I made the point that it'll be interesting to talk about, to, you know, kind of, kind of have to talk about this, the storyline as we watched it in the documentary as 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 that taking those facts you know a little bit with a grain of salt because we can't be 100% sure what's exactly true and what they may have embellished or what um they may what you know what kind of perspective they might be pushing or wanting to portray so um there definitely is a line there with with docu anything right like you were saying JJ so um for me what what i think both of what this docu-series I think did for me um, and I think they did this very well is to show that, that the Davidians and, you know, people involved in this, this situation were real people and to kind of combat the extremist viewpoint of the media against the Davidians to show that these are, these are, you know, sober, faithful people who believed in this, this small religion. Um, And that's not to say that David Koresh was the most benevolent and perfect human, but he, I mean, he obviously had his issues because 
he believed he was a messiah and whether he was knowingly uh, malicious in manipulating people or he truly, you know, something was going on upstairs and he really, truly, truly believed that God was speaking to him, that he was a prophet, that he was a messiah. You know, whether whatever is true of David Koresh, those people, to me, I think the documentary just brought out that these were just good believing people and something that kind of got them into a sticky situation that they weren't just like crazy people trying to kill themselves in front of the government for a weird cult, you know, that they're people. So, Yep. There's truth on all sides. Unfortunately, Mm. that's, we definitely have to, it's one of those things where the truth is what you make of it. Right. So it's a, it's a tough piece with this one. Ian, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say that, and I, I agree with Nicole, like what's so frustrating and you, JJ, when you talk about docu something, I think what's so frustrating for me watching this is my inability to find out the truth. Like they're even just like trying to Google and search through the trials and, and all the different information that's out there. There is no, this is exactly what happened. And that's really frustrating to me. And I think don't do well when it's not when there's not an answer especially to a complex situation that's very emotionally charged like this one so i think that's one thing to be prepared if they haven't if viewers haven't their listeners haven't already watched this to be prepared for like emotionally that you're gonna hit this spot where either you have to just make up your mind what you think happened or you have to accept that there's no definitive answer mm-hmm. yeah that's true yeah can't quibble with small details because who really knows the truth there? Although I do think that it was really cool that they used both the, you know, to base this docuseries, it was based off of David Thibodeau's book, you know, from the perspective of inside the house, the Davidians, and then kind of the outside government aspect, FBI, ATF um, perspective from David Nosner's book, his time as a, you know, FBI negotiator. So I think that they did a really cool, I, I, and I said this in the last podcast, I really liked that they followed those two narratives because um, it gave a really awesome perspective on both sides. Yeah. I'm very interested to read the books, to be honest. I'd like to see a little bit more of that because I'm sure that even in the, they use the books for like the basis of the narrative, there's probably some artistic license in there that I'd really like to read the actual perspective of those people. So All right, let's move on to episode five. Uh, Here's the synopsis. Over a week into the stalemate, Gary Nosner and his boss, Tony Prince, are at odds with each other on how David Koresh and the Branch Davidians should be handled. Kathy Schroeder, upon seeing footage of her son, Danny, leaves the compound to be with him. But immediately, Brad Branch follows that after Koresh catches him drinking. Another week later, a frustrated Nosner snaps at colleagues Prince and Decker for continuing with their aggressive maneuvers after Koresh complains of armored tanks driving around their property. Tensions escalate as sect members feel the strain from the impasse. Over the phone, Nosner, in a reasonably calm, calming tone, begs Crash to level with him. At another press conference, Belinda David Thibodeau's mom demands that she and other families in attendance intervene. Just as everything was settling down, Decker cuts their power off again and uses bright lights and a barrage of nuisance noises from their sound system as a way to flush the Davidians out. However, Wayne Martin powers on the generator, then Koresh and Thibodeau use it to their advantage to counter the annoyance. This is the episode where I've really, like the whole episode, I was extremely uncomfortable. And I think it kind of goes back, it's kind of why I started the conversation of, none of us know what's true and what's not. 
unless you were there because there's so many things that happen that without some sort of confirmation, to me, I look at this and go, it's a whole lot of artistic license to make you feel one way or another. It even seems like if you were there, you still don't have the whole story, right? Because there's so much going on and it was such a big compound because there's even like discrepancy about like the Davidians who survived and the ATF agents about like what happened. And yeah, anyway, yeah, that's a really hard part. Yeah. And the crazy part is the people that I really felt bad for throughout this episode and and even episode six to a, a part of it is and episode four is the families of the people that aren't in the compound of these people that are yeah. like David Thibodeau, obviously, and David Crush's moms are the two big characters that they run in front of your face the most and use for that tension. But man, it's there's a, I'm sure there was even more people out there just worried about the people that were in the compound and what was going on. This episode was really crazy for me um, because there was so much going on, but it, it, it did kind of open the dialogue for me of maybe the, maybe the Davidians. Well, actually let me back up a little bit. The seeing the perspective, the perspective of the Davidians that they really, if, you know, facts are, if they're, if it's being portrayed even remotely close to what it is that um, them feeling like you are coming on to my house and you are driving your tanks around my stuff. You're driving over my crap and you're doing all of these things without giving, without a good reason besides you just, want us to come out right now, you know, I don't know. I just felt like there was a lot of things in that episode where I felt if the Davidians really were kind of like, you know, playing music at them to kind of retaliate a little bit. I feel like they're, I feel like I'm kind of on their side with their reasoning. Like, excuse me, you're going to have to be nice to me. You're on my property and you're, you know, um, uh, and it definitely made me feel with for Gary in his conversations with the Davidians, several times he will he will express to them like, "Look, I want what's best for you guys, but I can't just go over there and tell them stop doing that because this is not who I am working with. You have to understand their you know their entire mindset, the way that they approach these issues is." is not something that I can just break down to nothing. Um, so I thought that was really interesting to follow. Dude, I would have given up during that psyops thing with like the huge speakers and the bright lights. I don't think you would. Dude, not sleeping for three days. I don't think you would. I would throw in the towel. Cause like at this point, and somebody can like correct me if I'm wrong. They're trying to get those people out uh-huh. so that when they go in there to find those guns, if something violent happened that few as few people as possible would be hurt in that altercation. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think for the purposes of this podcast, we got to make a, you know, at least a few assumptions. And I think it's right to say, you know, we, we can't be a hundred percent positive because we just watched this docu-series and of course it doesn't show every single piece of evidence and that, you know, not every single fact in there is a hundred percent true. I think it's fair to say that, but we have to make some assumptions so that we can have something. Yeah. And I, the TV show does a great job of making a lot of assumptions for us. And then we, we get to build on those. So definitely some fun things happening when it comes to the telling of the story on either side. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, whether the, you know, 
the facts are absolutely correct or the way that it's portrayed is 100% the way it was. And, you know, of course, like we said, we'll never know that. I think that the story, the way that it was portrayed in the docuseries raises some questions whether or not those are um, true to this actual scenario. I think there are a lot of issues that it brings up that I think that everyone can has or can agree with happen in real life. Like, you know, the, you know, overstatement of, you know, overstepping of, of government um, entities or, or law enforcement agencies. So if we were to take just the, what happened in the docuseries at face value, just as a story, um, I think there are some really interesting conversations to have. And I think that this episode in particular, bringing up, you know, whether psyops were necessary, whether the Davidians were validated in in the way that they retaliated and whether the ATF was validated in not only them being there, but the way that they responded to the Davidians kind of asking for more time and seemingly drawing out their um, previously or, you know, their previously agreed on arrangements, whether that was valid. Um, I think this episode, again, whether it is a true story, a fictional story, brought up some really cool maybe not cool, but really interesting <laughs> dilemmas, which I think extend further into the, the sixth episode. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you there, Nicole. A lot of crazy, crazy shit on either side. You know, to your point, a lot of concessions being asked for, a lot of concessions being denied, and then some crazy shit. And I'm with Javier. I know I couldn't have made it through the PSYOP shit. I'd have walked out and said, just shoot me. Just turn that shit off. Cause I, <laughs> I'm fucking out. No, oh, I was, my, my point was, I don't think actually in real life, well, maybe, maybe it would bring out a different side of Javier, but I feel like you're one to like hold your ground on principle. Like you came to my house. You really shouldn't be here. You are doing things, you know, that are way beyond I but think I'm you, stubborn. You know I just I mean? don't think I'm that you stubborn. You don't think you're that stubborn. No, I, think, I think you would hold out for a I while. I think I'm stubborn, but I'm well. weak. You know? Like, I just don't have the mental fortitude to be as stubborn as I want to be. <laughs> I think that Koresh, though, at least in the in the docuseries, showed a lot of, like, we're holding our ground. Not And it kind of, you know, he was saying that it's because he, you know, because of God and because of the religion that he has, but you could definitely see that it was bleeding over to his own personal belief that why are they here? They shouldn't be here. This is my property. We weren't doing anything wrong. Um, and so as a leader, do I believe that that's a good enough reason to make everybody stay and risk their lives? No, but as a person, <laughs> I could, I could feel for that, that personal, like, get out of here. This is my house. What are you doing here? You're coming in with your tanks, doing things, you know, the psyops just to get us out because you don't like our timetable for really trying. If you're truly, truly wanting us to all be safe in this situation, you guys will back off and, and give us some more time or some, some more leeway. You know, I don't know. It did seem like it turned into a dick measuring contest. It did. You know, at that point, especially when they were blaring their music. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> well, we flex on you. And then David Koresh tries to flex back. It's just so and I stupid. Love it's like an whole, ego thing. Yeah. The whole entire time Gary's over here, like they're not going to respond to this force because, because of their beliefs, they're just not going to re respond. And I thought that that was really cool to watch that play out as Gary is 
basically telling the truth that the things that you guys are doing, ATF, FBI, not going to work on these people. And they didn't. And it's sad that they just continued to ignore him even into the next episode. Yeah. The leadership on both sides in this and the next episode frustrate the shit out of me yeah. because it's like, it's kind of like how you said dick measuring contest, but it's also, it's like, I'm going to be, I'm going to one up you at every chance I can to the point that like, and I don't know, again, this may be, I'm sure it's dramatized to a certain degree, but the man uses a source of power that for 30 minutes, he could have done something that would help his people. And instead they fucking play music out the window. Dude, I had a problem with that too, but I couldn't like put my finger like on it, but I'm like, really, is that the best use of that? Yeah. Like seriously, you could have used that thing to generate get a, get your well it didn't have running water but you could get the fridge working again for like a half an hour i mean you could charge some cell phones seriously you could have done any number of things with this power and you decide to be an ass clown and play music really loud to get back at the fbi for their music and their shit being loud i was like that's pretty petty and pretty and if i again this is another situation where look i don't have the willpower that these people obviously did because let's be honest, as soon as the shit started shooting and they're like, cease fire, you can come out. I'd have been like, I'm good. I'll come coming out. Send me to jail. <laughs> fucking quit shooting at my ass. I'm just coming outside. And in this situation, I'd done this. And I'd have, I'd have walked up and punched David Crush in the face and been like, are you fucking serious right now? You're going to play music just to be a dick when you could use that power for any number of helpful things within our compound. Now that they've cut the power. Yeah, I was it, it, it irritated me. But on the flip side, the FBI is just as bad. You sit there and, you know, they do something shitty or they're, you know, they're obstinate about not coming out and they up the game of how can we make their lives more miserable? How can we do one more thing to try? And granted, they do it under the purpose of trying to get them out in, in a peaceful-ish manner. But still, you don't have to go to those extremes. You can try to find a human, human side of all this and be reasonable and smart. And it just seemed like whatever truth there is in both sides of these stories, it seems like there was very little reasonable thought process from the top down and on either side. I have a question for Ian, since you're like our research guru, did the, um, don't know about that. <laughs> did the conversation, actually this might not be this episode, but the conversation with the, uh, the radio host, you know, like via the satellite, like rotating it. Was that a thing? I'm sure. I tried looking that up and I couldn't find anything specific to the like radio host and satellite. What I found cause that, and what I found was that the David Kresh's mother hired a lawyer for David. And I think that's how the lawyers got in, but I, I couldn't find anything on the, the radio host conversation. Cause I was curious about that too. Um, the other thing that I had, and I don't know if there's an answer to this, but, what did they like find the listening bugs? Cause that was in the last episode, but then it's not yeah, they used. Never resolved that. Oh yeah. Used in like the other two. And I feel like that would be a really useful source of information on with this thing ongoing. And I just, I, I don't know if anybody has information on that or not, but I was kind of curious why those weren't continued to be used or, and I would love for there to be those tapes available to listen to. Cause I think that was, would be super interesting. That's a good point. Because in the series, they just use that to justify the psyops attack, right? Like Decker uses it to convince Prince to like do something, not just wait around. 
I think yeah. I think this conversation was in the six, right? Because they used the conversation of like, let's just have a glass of milk. They're like, see, that's proof that they don't care about those kids. Yeah. So we got to do we got to we got to do something more because this is proof that they're abusing those kids in there. Um, you know, to give them some kind of fit. But you're right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they put those listening devices in the, in the milk cartons and the milk cartons went into the kitchen and not a lot of really heavy conversations happen in the kitchen. So at least I also think that they, they disposed of the milk cartons when the milk went bad. So I don't know if the bugs went with them. Cause I think the bugs were in the crate is what they said. Oh, were they? Yeah. Uh, That's probably true. Oh, they kept yeah, the bottles in the doggy series. They kept the milk bottles. They poured them out and then put them on the shelf. Oh, that's right. With water, huh? I remember that now. Yeah, I'd be interested to know. I know they mentioned them at least once, but I, I can't. Who knows what they did with them? I I would say that you know another conversation that happened. I, I'm pretty sure doing this. Yeah, this episode is they brought in the milk and then they cut off the power. And the milk went bad. And um, that was another situation where they had discussed, like, you say you want things to be peaceful, but you're not doing that with your actions. Um, And, of course, there's another side to that, that, hey, we had agreements that you're not pulling through with either. Um, But uh, that was definitely something that I felt for the Davidians, that they're like, you got to show us that you're willing to, that you actually do want to do things peacefully because from your actions, it seems like you don't care what happens to us, you know? And so I could feel for them in in that sentiment. All right, let's move on to the the final episode. Um, Yeah, so the... Synopsis is the attorney's visit with David Koresh and his followers to discuss the case at hand and options. From there, it looks like the stalemate is coming to a conclusion, but Koresh asks Gary Nosner over the phone to let him write out the seven seals before he and his group submit themselves. Nosner agrees. However, Tony Prince and Mitch Decker see it as a stall tactic and remove Nosner from the premises. Later, tactical agents are given the green light to use tanks to penetrate Mount Carmel and inject CS gas as a method to lure out the sect members. That only does the exact opposite as Steve issues gas masks and Koresh relocates his family and followers to the bunker. Suddenly, a fire starts within the complex, gradually engulfing the wooden structure in flames. A few more Davidians, including Thibodeau, escape and surrender to authorities who promptly arrest them. While the 76 that remain in the burning compound, including Koresh and the children, perish from the smoke inhalation, mercy killings, or sacrifice, bringing the 51-day-long standoff to a tragic end and forever changing the lives of those involved. This episode was like super hard for me because I think at this point Javier was like, I have to look up to see what happens. And I was like, no, don't. And uh, and I was like, no, don't. Let's just watch and see what happens. You know, we can look up, you know, you know, supplemental stuff after. And at this point, especially when they brought in the lawyers, I was hoping for and at that point kind of expecting that they were going to come to some really unique resolution um, where they all went out and things, you know, they go to jail for a little bit, but they, you know, they get justice for the things that were wrong on the side of the ATF, you know? Um, and so that's what I was kind of expecting. And then when the tear gas and everything went down, it was like an emotional roller coaster, just like total, like crashed into the ground. Like I was not so fully not expecting that to happen, that it was, it was a super emotional episode for me. Yeah, it was hard to watch. I mean, I, 
story, like any type of story that ends that way or experience or event, it just, it was rough. I, I struggled watching this episode. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It was a hard one to watch, hard one to swallow the culmination of everything that was going on. That was wrong on both sides. Just bat shit, you know, stuff. I can share what went through my brain during this episode. And, um, and I would preface with, I under, you know, again, as we've talked about, understand that this may not portray exactly how it happened. Um, but just, just as far as this narrative, this story of the docu-series, this is what my thoughts were. <laughs> Number one, they, they heard, and then you guys, if you remember it differently, you can correct me because it's been, you know, maybe a week or two, but they heard that conversation in the milk cartons and we're like, that's it. That's going to be our catalyst. We're going to go, going to go all the way up to, who was it? The Secretary of Treasury or somebody, that lady in DC, Attorney General, the Attorney yeah. General. And they were like, we believe they're abusing kids and we want to use tear gas on them. And she's like, but won't that hurt the kids? And they're like, I mean, like they're going to tear up a little bit. That's why it's called tear gas. But the parents are going to take one look at their kids and they're just going to run right out. And it's better to hurt them for a second than to leave them in there being abused by these people. And she's like, if you're sure. And they're like, we're sure. She's like, all right. And she just signs the paper. And I was like, lady, are you a freaking idiot? You don't just sign off on tear gas to like throw at kids' faces without giving somebody else, get a second opinion, give somebody else a call. You hear from the negotiator, you call the negotiator, you call everybody who's been involved in that. And you make sure that that is the right decision because she's, she is not qualified for her job if she doesn't understand how dangerous that using this gas is. Um, so whether or not that happened, you know, just to, you know, take their word for it and sign that paper was extraordinarily frustrating to me. Um, also that it seemed that their motivation for doing that was that they just got tired of waiting, which is a garbage reason. They just got tired of waiting and so that that was a huge that was a huge frustration to me. Then when things started to go south and Gary was there at the crossroads again of of you could do you could do something, but he didn't. He was just like, I'm mad and you shouldn't do this. And then he just went home and watched the TV. That that was a major disappointment to me. And I was like, you freaking call the attorney general right now and you say my name is Gary Nosner. I am the I am the you know hostage negotiator. I've been in this business forever. You should not do this. I have worked with these people closely and this is not the best way to go. So um maybe he did in real life, but in the story he didn't, and that was extraordinarily frustrating. And of course, like, you know, I'm sure all of us felt the same way when we watched all of those children die. So that it was extraordinarily emotionally emotional for me, especially having my own child putting my shoes in. Um, what was her name? Sarah, who had the little girl that Thibodeau married. Oh, Michelle. Michelle. Watching her, they all retreated to the um, that little storage area safe. The bus thing or what? Oh, yeah. the, the vault. The bunker. The vault. The vault. Yeah, so they were in the vault. 
and um, her holding her child as she just slipped away unconscious um, was so horrible for me to watch having my own child and imagining that happened to me. And again, whether or not this, this actually happened, those women in the docuseries and those children, they were trying so, so hard to get out, but they were trapped because of the way that the ATF destroyed that building in the process of using that gas. So they targeted the vault and in doing so trapped them in it and they all died. And so that was really difficult for me to watch and really, really hard for me to hold back thoughts of like, I want to see every single one of those ATF agents in jail. And if they're not, I'm going to find their social medias and I'm going to cyber bully them to death. (laughs) We tried. It didn't work though. (laughs) Surprisingly, ATF agents from the nineties aren't on Facebook. Weird. Oh, that's why they changed their name for productions like this. (laughs) (laughs) The wackos like you can't Facebook stalk them. (laughs) Yeah, that was definitely a hard episode to watch. I think it's, uh, so it's one of those things, this is where a lot of diversion goes that there's no way to know the truth beyond once the raid starts. You know, this, I talked in the last episode that when we talked about, there's two things that we'll never know ever. And that is the first one was who shot first. The second one is how did this fire start? If you read anything that has to do with anything from law enforcement and the government, it's, you know, the branch Davidians, they believe that the branch Davidians started it from the inside. If you listen to any of the surviving branch Davidians, none of them actually wanted to die. And so it was started by the, the tear gas that was placed in, which is a highly flammable compound. So, uh, it, it's a tough thing, but we'll never know which one was which. I, I think what I do believe, and I, I think they tried to portray it with Decker losing his shit, trying to get the older sister out of the back of the bus and realizing that all of these kids were actually going to die. I think, you know, he has this moment of just pure heartbreak where he realized that, you know, everyone in there is going to die now. And I'm sure in, in his mind, or what they're trying to portray is in that character's mind or the, the conflagration of those multiple people that were involved, maybe making those decisions, you know, realized that they thought that this was started from the inside, that what they'd done had, could not have started that, whatever. It doesn't matter at this point. What matters is, is, you know, there have to be people somewhere along the line that have regret for how it was played out. And then, you know, it's a hindsight's 2020 kind of situation, hopefully, on both sides for those that are still around and involved, but you know, history repeats itself situation for the rest of us. You know, if we look at a situation like this, you know, on both sides of the coin, hopefully we can learn some lessons from this absolutely bonkers tragedy that took place. Dude, the whole who started the fire thing is almost as well, no, maybe just as confusing as who started shooting first. Right. Because like, when I first watched it and first read part of the DOJ report, I was like convinced that the police started it on accident, right? Like I don't yeah. think they meant to, but they did pour tear gas in there and then they used flash bangs, uh, which, you know, are considered incendiary, uh, you know, so something like that could have started a fire. Uh, but then you also read like the the coroner's report, cor- corn- coroner's. coroner's report, and like a lot of the Davidians did kill themselves, so, like, if the narrative is, like, they started their, this fire with the intention of killing themselves, there's at least a little bit of proof to show that these Davidians didn't try to get out. Instead, 
they killed themselves and they killed their kids and stuff like that. Maybe it was a mixture of both. I don't know. But that one is really interesting to me. I agree with Javier there where like, I don't know what to think because of all the different information there is where there's Davidians who have killed themselves. There's the flashbang stuff that he talked about. There's, I, it just feels like something doesn't line up and I, it's, it's hard for me to reconcile that. Yeah. It is a tough thing when you read how many people had bullet wounds in the head. Well, Somewhere, again, I don't know, I don't remember exactly what source this was, so it could be wrong, but it would, I even read that some of them had stab wounds. Yeah, that came straight out of the DOJ report. Yeah, it was just... Which, you yeah. don't know how truthful it is, because it's the government, but it's what we've got. My, well, the, go ahead, Nicole. Oh, I was just thinking, so I think Javier can attest to this, that in day-to-day life, I'm the person who says, you know, when Javier's like, look at this video of this cop being crazy. I'm like, well, that guy obviously provoked that cop. And I'm usually one to say, you don't provoke law enforcement. They have a hard enough job as is. They definitely, you know, should be not abusing people no matter what. Um, But I'm usually day to day in, in favor of supporting law enforcement because their job is hard. But no matter what the truth is for me, whether all of those people killed themselves or they were killed in that fire, would that have happened if the ATF were there? Would all of those people be dead if they were not in that situation? And even if those people were at risk of killing themselves and killing their children, that's not the ATF's jurisdiction. ATF is not, does not have, that does not fall under their umbrella. So for me, at the end of the day, I definitely place a lot of blame, no matter what the truth is. And I feel like I can have this opinion because we're never going to know the truth um, because, you know, it's just like we've talked about. so difficult. Um, And, you know, um, but for me, I feel like even if this was like local law enforcement or people were there for, you know, for the right reasons and they had the right um, jurisdiction to be there, that they, it's law enforcement's job to handle things in an appropriate way and in a a protect and serve kind of way. Not we need to show everyone that we are more powerful than these people. And if it comes down to it, we're going to kill everyone here. I mean, it is the police's job to deescalate situations. Deescalation, which is not what the priority was here. We can hold them to that standard. At the very least, at the very least, they should be de-escalating things. And I even think going into this last episode, this was still salvageable. Mm-hmm. Like you, absolutely, you still could have done something. Like I, I don't know if it was you, Ian, or Matson that mentioned last time. Like maybe pull everyone back and go and walk to the front door with a small group of people, right, or something. Like there must have been some way to reasonably talk this through, and maybe not with Koresh, but at least with. Um, what was his right-hand man's name? Well, Steve. Steve. At least with Steve. If the goal was to get people out so that we can avoid people dying, there were, I mean, in that sea of people there, there's got to be one, one person who could think of a more creative solution than what happened. I think that's what made the last episode so hard is they work close to, or at least the episode portrays that they were close to some sort of like, Final, yeah. Yep. You know, he writes his manuscripts, 
and we'll come out like the lawyers got involved. And so it gives you this hope of like, yeah, there's, there's still a way that this can be resolved peacefully. And then for it to end the way it does is just really difficult and frustrating. And yeah. yeah. It's another piece too, where I got really mad at David Koresh. Yes. The man has a chance. All you got to do is send out a couple of pages, man. Just a couple of damn pages. It's not look swallow. And this is, it it goes back to just like I talked about last week where all he had to do was keep his word and say, look, I'm sorry that these people didn't hear my message and they didn't like what I had to say. And they made fun of me. Your pride gets in the way. Just like this. I can't share two pages without the rest of it because you won't understand it. He's not trying to understand it, dude. He's trying to get you out and trying to give something so that his people have a chance to see that they're making progress in this peaceful resolution. Yeah. And the fact that he refused, I, I can't argue with the fact that you're like, look, as mi- and especially now that I've read some research where there were, oh, there were literally hundreds of times that they tried to make concessions. And then he said, they'll come out and then they changed their minds because it wasn't the actual sign of God. Like it's interesting research to hear, how much they tried and how many times he said yes and then no. So that flip to, I was like, man, it's as much on him to swallow his pride in that situation and go, you can't stay there when you've agreed to come out. Of course, they're going to be pissed. Of course, they're going to look at that and go, this guy's lied to us a hundred times before. He's not willing to even send two pages out to show that he's making progress. I don't believe he's coming out. So that, that was a hard one for me to swallow when he just refused to send out a couple pages. Honestly, I understood like Prince's reaction to that. He not, and I didn't even know that they they agreed to come out several times. Just even after the first time, I'm like, really, Koresh, you really think they're gonna they're gonna believe you a second time when you say all I want to do is just this one thing, and then we'll all come out? Like you burnt that bridge, man. You, yeah. don't, you don't get any more leeway. Yeah, absolutely. It was a tough one. And I think that's where I get, for me, this situation was such a, a shitty deal on both. And I keep going back to both sides, but I, and I do agree. I think that there were plenty of opportunities for a more, much more peaceful resolution and a less tragic and deadly resolution on either side. If both sides would have just swallowed some level of pride, right? At least according to what we see in the show. And, and that's also to say, you know, we, the big negotiator is no Gary Nosner and is the one little Weasley guy that was with him when in actuality, there were multiple negotiators there at all times. Cause they had to be able to man the phones 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of rotating like in and out of them or something. Yeah. It was an, a, a pretty astounding number. So, um, but we get one perspective, maybe two. So there's definitely some room for, uh, you know, misinterpretation there, but either way, a lot of things were done on both sides to create a terrible situation and make it worse. I think JJ, and I think this was you who said in either the, this past episode or the previous, this episode or the previous episode that, you know, there was a lot done, you know, a lot of pride and, you know, in retrospect, horrible decisions made on both sides, the leadership of both sides. And I think, and I, and I've kind of said this before, but I think the documentary does a really good job at, I think for even the ATF side showing that the people, the majority of the people who were involved in this incident were um, not the ones making the decisions. They were the ones who felt that they, they needed to follow the leader um, of their, of their group. And so I think the documentary did a really good job of, of, of reminding the 
the viewers that it maybe seemed like there were two extremes, but really this entire scenario on both sides was just full of, of real people who are just trying to do their best with the things that they knew. Man, so much that went on. So much. So should we wrap up, give our what we final, what we thought of this thing thoughts and rate it? Let's do it. All right. Javier, let's start with you. Okay. Um, One through five, right? Yep. As much as like the the story frustrates me, I really like the series. It was really captivating and it was well acted. And I'm going to give it a four. Cool. And would I watch it again? I oh, I don't think so. It's heavy. It's <laughs> yeah. so heavy and it's so frustrating and it's heartbreaking. So I probably won't unless Nicole wants to watch it again, which I don't think she does. No. <laughs> <laughs> With that, it's a good segue into Nicole. How would you rate this? Um, I, I'm, I'm really similar. I didn't, I, the, as a whole, I think the documentary was filmed, acted really well. I think that um, the characters were, um, were, really i've already used this word captivating it was it this documentary episode one sucked me in i wanted to see how it happened and i there were really no parts for me that were slow or that were i felt like unnecessary to the story um just from start to finish i was just eyes glued um so i would give it a at least a four maybe even a 4.5 just based on how just just how well i felt like it was done and I'm no movie critic, but I'm a normal person. And, and this normal person was eyes glued the whole time. Um, but I would not watch it again because I cannot watch babies die. And would I recommend it to someone I would, but I would say I would, I would, I would feel like I would need to spoil the ending because to, before I would recommend it, <laughs> because it's like, if you're okay watching babies die, then it's worth it to watch. <laughs> but um, I would never watch it again, just, just for that, that ending part, but it was an extraordinarily captivating docuseries. Definitely. Ian. This is a hard one to rate because I have a lot of mixed feelings about a lot of different elements. But when it comes down to how well it was done, um, the acting, this has kind of already been mentioned by both Nicole and Javier already, but it was really, really well done. Um, It sucks you in and you want to, even though this is something like you can go Google or you can read up on or that you live through, um, it's something that you want to sit through and watch till the end and you want to see how everything plays out. With that said, I, I'll be, I'm kind of in JJ's camp. I don't really like the docu-series format and stuff, but based on how this was done and as far as like looking at it from an entertainment standpoint, like I can get on board with the, uh, I'll say it, I, uh, this is hard. <laughs> I can do a four for that. I can do a four, so. Cool. Um, I'll wrap up. You know, for me, this is one of those things where I'm kind of in with everybody else. For me, I look at it. I try to look at it. I think I told Ian this once. We were having a conversation after the first episode because it was so challenging and there was, you know, tensions get high. There's a lot of crazy things going on because, you know, it, it really draws a line in the sand to a certain degree on where do you stand? Do you stand on one side? Do you stand on the other? And so for me, I I like to look at it from an artistic point of view. 
So if I back away from the realistic nature of what was happening and the fact that it was a real show or not a real show, sorry, but a real situation that happened. And I think of it from entertainment. It was fantastic. Visually, it was stunning. The acting was as good as I've seen period in a long, long time. So, uh, you know, I can go back and just be really, really appreciative of the artistic nature of this. The part that I do struggle with is I'm with Ian. I, I have a hard time with docu anything because I know that there's facts that are being uh, challenged and, and misconstrued because of the artistic nature and the fact that there are facts that we'll never know because of the, the, the nature of the situation. So a lot to think about in that. But for me, I, I'm going to go right along with the rest of the group. I think it's a four beautifully put together show, uh, very thought provoking, very evocative in a lot of different ways. So I really enjoyed it. Would I watch it again? No, I don't know. I may watch pieces for the acting. Like the the conversation, the one that really sticks out to me is there's a conversation between Nosner and uh, Decker when they're sitting there, Decker's trying to eat lunch or dinner or something. And Nosner tries to come and talk to him and they, they're kind of going at it. They, they lay out their perspectives, right? Decker's like, look, there's, 40 human beings to every one of us as a police force. And, you know, we have to, if we don't show that we're the force, then we look weak and then everybody thinks they can attack. And then on the flip side, Nosner saying, yeah, but people are people and we have to respect the human nature of what's going on. That conversation, like I would sit and watch again because it's two giants just acting their asses off. And I really love to watch that. But would I watch it as a whole? No, it's just too much for me. I, it was hard. It brings up too many emotions, gets me too worked up. So yeah, there's my thing. I think it gets us cool. worked up a little bit. Yeah. I, you know, I think both episodes are proof of that, right? Um, both of these, have, you know, there's some fire and brimstone running around because we just get that emotion going and it's how it works. Let's go back to walk, watching John Wick and shit like that. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Kind of of looking forward to Wednesday's movie because, man, it's either going to be, at this point with the voting, it's either going to be Scoob or it's going to be Jojo Rabbit. So I I would not, I would be okay with both of those, to be honest. Yeah, and that's, I was, I was laughing because it's, those two are way out in front in the lead uh, in voting and it's really close between those two, but I'm excited because they're both much more lighthearted, even though, Jojo Rabbit does cover some pretty heavy themes when you get down to it, but it's it's very lighthearted, which I, I'm I'm going to be appreciative after this series and talking about it. So, yeah. So everyone, don't forget you can find us uh, wherever fine podcasts are found: uh, Spotify, Stitcher. You oh, we you can find us on YouTube now. By the way, we're doing trailer. Uh, reactions, probably start seeing some of our episodes in a really cool animated form soon too as well. So keep an eye out for that on YouTube. But as far as podcasts go, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, I already said, but Spotify, Stitcher, um, again, anywhere you can find podcasts, that's where we're at. You can also request a movie or a TV show, uh, hosts at whatsourverdict.com. Again, I reminded you at the beginning, but check out our sister podcast, What's Our Verdict Movies. That's what we're talking about. We're probably going to be watching either Scoob or Jojo Rabbit coming up next. So go check that out if you have any interest and want to hear what we think about those movies. With that being said, I think uh, we've hit the end of Waco. So uh, we'll go ahead and close out. Thank Nicole for joining us. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye now. Cinemagic out. Cinemagic out.